Praise God. Father, we thank you. It's a beautiful day. The sun outside is shining upon us, and the Son of God is shining upon us inside the house of God. We thank you for the words that we will speak today. I pray that your heart, your words, will flow through me to your people, into our hearts, that we would hear what the Lord would say to us as a church and rejoice that truth is being spoken in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The struggle for love and romance. I want to say that again. The struggle for love and romance. The question has to be asked, is there a struggle for love and romance? How can we prove that there is a struggle? Well, statistical analysis gives us a very clear picture. We know that many marriages fail. We know that the struggle in marriages takes place and people separate and divorce. But let's ask ourselves this question. Does the Bible give us proof that there is a struggle for love and romance in individual lives and marriage? I want to take you back to the book of Genesis. The Bible says that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord planted him in a garden. The Lord God planted Adam in the garden, eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So God formed the man first, put him in the garden. So somewhere outside the garden he was formed. I don't know why, but that was God's way. And in Genesis 2.15, And the Lord took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The word dress it means to serve God. The word keep means to guard the garden. It means to take charge of it, to watch over the garden, to protect the garden, to take care of the garden. So the Bible says, And the Lord put him in the garden of Eden to dress it, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden they mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, God gave rules and regulations. Just like in society, there's laws, there's rules and regulations. And a lot of people don't like rules and regulations. So God gave Adam instructions, and then he was concerned about Adam. In Genesis 2, 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. I want you to ponder that for a moment. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good. That means not beneficial. It's not pleasant. It's not delightful. It's not joyful. It's not right. That's what the translation means for a man to be alone. And it says this, I will make him a help me. Now, what does the word alone mean? It means by yourself. It means on your own. It means unaccompanied, unaided, lonely, forlorn, abandoned, and feeling solitary. The Bible says that God said to Adam, I'll make you a help me. So what's a help me? It's someone to help you, to comfort you, and to support you, to surround you, and to aid you as you work through life. So here we have God given instructions. He breathes life into Adam. He puts him in the garden. He sees Adam that he's lonely. 
And so God says, you know, that's not good. So I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. So he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord had taken from him, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Isn't God amazing that God can take a man and make him out of dust and breathe life into his soul and he becomes a living being? And then he puts that man to sleep and takes a rib and he makes a woman. Man, God is awesome, isn't he? Praise the Lord. People say, I, I don't like to read the Bible. The Bible is very interesting. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? And so the Bible says that Adam, when God created the woman, said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and this is important, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What does that mean? They were both naked. There was no sin in the garden. It was a perfect environment, okay? And the Bible says they were not naked, which means, means that they were, they were both naked and were not ashamed. It meant that they were exposed. They were undressed. They were stripped. And at this point in time, there's no hang-ups. There's no sexual hang-ups. There's no sexual distortions. There's no, you know, all, all of the stuff that's going on in our marriages and society concerning sexuality. It didn't exist, okay? And so the Bible says that they were not ashamed. So they weren't embarrassed. They didn't feel guilty. They didn't feel shame. They didn't feel mortified. They didn't feel humiliated. They didn't feel reluctant toward one another. They didn't feel uncomfortable. They didn't feel self-confident, uh, conscious about their nakedness. They were not ill at ease. Look at society today. Listen, I've been in the ministry a long time and I've counseled thousands of people. And I've counseled many people in marriage. And let me tell you, there's a lot of problems in marriage sexually that cause people to become divorced or for that marriage to become an enduring friendship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. So what happened? And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I want to just say this, and I'm not against nicknames for people, for adults and uh, children, but the reason that you chose that name for that child, there was a reason. That's the child's identity. That's his real identity. When, when my dad named me Frederick, okay, there was an identity attached to that name. I was named after an uncle, and I was named after a king. My dad was a history buff. That name meant something to me. The name, if you look up your name, everyone's name here that you've been given has power. Look up your name. It's a very interesting study. We did that one time in the church here, okay? And I'm not against nicknames, but the true identity of a child or an adult is the name that you have given him. That's his name. Something else can become fictitious. Something else can become fantasy. The Bible says here, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother. What does the word Eve mean? Life giver. It means to keep or make alive, to, to nourish, to preserve, to recover, to repair, to restore, to make whole. Eve was a lifesaver. That's what God was saying for Adam. So what happened? Everything was going along fine. I don't know how long Adam and Eve were together in physical relationship and so on. Before something happened, the serpent came into the garden. 
And God told him, you know, that tree, that's, not, that's the one I don't want you to eat from. And the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, that same verse in the recovery Bible says this, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and then he ate it too. What does the word eat mean in Genesis 3, 6? It means to devour. It means to burn up, to consume. It means to be voluptuous. This is where I believe addiction and lust began in the garden. They consumed it. They loved it. They had such a desire for it that nothing else would get in the way. And here we have now a perfect environment, a perfect marriage, a perfect sexuality that's now going to be marred in the Garden of Eden because sin has now entered in. Life is now going to change for Adam and Eve. And believe it or not, life changed for you and I the day we were born. Are you with me? Genesis 3, 7. And the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What does the word naked here mean? The word naked now means to be subtle. To become shrewd. To become crafty. To take crafty counsel. To be cautious. And to be guarded. Here's the introduction of sexual hang-ups. Here's the introduction of sexuality that gets skewed. Because now we can play games because of guilt, shame, and condemnation that both came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Listen carefully. Adam fell from grace and perfection. How did the first spiritual leader fall? Through the cunning ways the seductive ways and the manipulative ways of Eve and the serpent. He got tricked. She ate first. Follow the thought here. How did Eve win him over? Now, I know this isn't conclusive. It's my opinion. She became sinful first, that's what the Bible says, and gave Adam to eat. What swayed Adam to eat the fruit? Until that time, he hadn't eaten the fruit. What swayed him? Did Eve use her sexuality to sway Adam to eat the forbidden fruit? Did she turn to him and say, hey, have you liked how it's been? You better eat. You like what we've been doing physically? You better partake. I'm just giving that as a thought. Because the word naked means to become subtle and crafty and manipulative. It means to become, become seductive and, and cunning. You, you know all about seduction in society with men and women. You know people on the move, people on the make, people, people trying to hit on people. You, you know all about that. This is not, this is not some new uh, revelation, okay? What has been the influence of sin in the Garden of Eden on human sexuality? Hmm. Many hang-ups concerning sexuality resulted as a result of Adam and Eve recognizing that they were now naked. Now many have a skewed picture of love, romance, and sexuality simply because 
of the sin that was caused in the Garden of Eden that's been transpired down to us because one man sinned. All that are born from women have sinned. We have problems. We have great problems. Many never find love. I want you to follow me. I'm catapulting into the New Testament for just one moment. Then I'm coming back. Jesus said these words in Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now look at the words here. There's three words. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Register that word. To preach deliverance to the captives. Register that word. And recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. Register that word in your spirit. Three words. Brokenhearted, captives, and bruised. Many never find love. Listen carefully. Because three areas within their soul and spirit hinder them from entering the arena of love. Follow. Even so many fail in love in marriage because these three areas of life have never been resolved. Now how can we prove this? What happened in the garden? Up until that time, God had a wonderful relationship with Adam and Eve. He walked in the cool of the garden. There was no hang-ups. There was no problems. He had conversations with them. He had wonderful communication. But three results happened in the fall of the Garden of Eden when they sinned. Man and woman became brokenhearted. You've all heard about that. You know about the Dear Abby columns. We have to write notes to the, dear, to the brokenhearted. Man and woman became brokenhearted. And what does that mean in Hebrew? It means to break in pieces, to tread down and to crush to break down, to tear one's body and shatter one's strength. Jesus' goal was to put Satan underfoot and as a conqueror trample on him. That's why he said those words in Luke 4.18. He came for a purpose. He came to put people back together. He came so that we could become whole once again. Man and woman were not only brokenhearted, but man and woman were bruised. And the word bruised means to crush and to break. It means to wreck. It means especially to sunder by separation of the parts. A shattering to minute fragments. A disruption as to convulse with spasms and, and, and tearing and a rending. So man and woman, as they grow up, things happen. And I'll get into this in a moment. Become brokenhearted. Because everyone's looking for love. Everyone's looking for love. You were born to love and to be loved. And everyone is looking for some kind of affection. Someone is looking for someone to take the place of loneliness in their heart. Because God said it's not good for man and it's not good for woman to be alone. So what's preventing love? I'm telling you, in the word of God, broken, hard, bruised, and men and women need deliverance as they were now being held captive as prisoners of war. In other words, Adam and Eve were now prisoners of their emotions. They were being held captive. In these three areas, unless these three areas are healed, unless these three areas come under the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, you will struggle for love and romance in your life and in your marriage. Hold on. 
There was a terrible break in the garden. And there was a terrible bruising in the Garden of Eden that the enemy was able to accomplish. A spiritual earthquake took place that was unable to be measured on a scale. The break was between, listen carefully now, between the father and the son and the father and the daughter. There was a break in intimacy up until the point of sin. There was no problem with intimate relationship, communication between God and Adam and Eve. There was no problem between Adam and Eve emotionally and sexually as a couple. Are you following? But when sin took place, that intimacy was broken down. And all of a sudden, there was a father-son wound and a father-daughter wound. It wasn't the blame of God because God gave them instructions on how to keep that environment pure. It was on the part of the son, Adam, and it was on the part of the daughter, Eve, who broke the command of God and now is breaking intimacy with God. Follow. God came to restore the bond. He came to restore the connection. God has come to restore the intimacy he had with Adam. The intimacy that was lost after the fall. The voice that Adam was accustomed to hearing was the same voice he now hid from. The same voice that visited him in the cool of the garden. The same voice that put breath into his nostrils. The same voice that put him into a deep sleep and caused a, a, a woman to come forth from a rib. Is the same voice that he's now hiding from. And that's exactly what people do in society. They hide from God. And you know why they hide from God? Because of their brokenness. Because of their bruising. And because they're being held captive by their emotions. And you know what? A lot of people are in denial. And not a, a lot of people will never find love in marriage. They'll never find love as a person. Because if these three areas aren't conquered, you're going to remain the same. And not only the same, but you're going to grow bitter. And sometimes grow jealous about what other people might have that you don't have. Follow. Notice how many times Jesus refers to his father in the New Testament. Jesus had a commune with him. He had an intimacy with his father. He spoke to his dad, just like I'm speaking to you. That's what God wants for us as sons and daughters of God. The Bible says in Luke 19 and 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What did Jesus come to seek and save? He came to seek and save those that are brokenhearted, those that are bruised, and those that are being held captive by their emotions, and they're in their own prison, and they're the warden of their prison. They're the superintendent of their own prison, and they stay there with lock and key, and they have the key, because the key is Jesus. But they refuse to come out. Why? Why? Because they've given up on the hope of love. They've given up on the hope of romance. They've given up on the hope that God can supply every need and that God can cover our aloneness and our loneliness. Look what happens. The games begin to play. Let me talk to you for just a moment about this intimacy. It was lost with Adam and Eve, and it had to be restored. The intimacy can only truly be uh, restored by God. Now follow this closely. 
You can't be truly intimate the way God wants you to be with your spouse until you are truly intimate with the Father. Because you'll be hiding. I talk to a lot of people in my lifetime. And I ask men, particularly, do you give your whole heart to your wife? No. Why? Why are you afraid? You're married. You sleep in the same bed. What's holding you back? See, they're being held captive. And there's a reason concerning men, which I'll get to in a, in a moment, if you follow me. The Bible says, uh, the Bible talks about the bruising and the brokenness and so on. And only God can remove these obstacles. You can't do it on your own. You can go to self-help, you, you can go to seminars, and, and you can have people you know, talk about some spicy things and tell you a few jokes and make you humorous. This is a marriage seminar right here this morning. This is, this is some stuff that you, you don't usually hear in a marriage seminar because we, we want to keep it nice and even keel. We, we don't want to rock the boat. We know there's issues, and we, and we border on, on the edge of the lake, and we don't go in the lake because people are embarrassed to talk about it. And unless we start talking about it, we're going to have our head in the sand, and we're going to lose marriages. And marriages will become enduring friendships and people will be frustrated sexually because something's not happening that's supposed to be happening according to God's command. Don't all shout amen at the same time. Hmm. Don't all shout amen at the same time. Obstacles and past experiences. And those past experiences can involve abuse, sexual molestation, and all those different areas and I'm trying to be sensitive about it. Those things have to be overcome. And if they're not, that baggage will come into your marriage bed and it will cause great issues psychologically, emotionally, and unconsciously. Hmm. Let the games begin. Genesis 3-7. And the eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Why do they do that? Because now they're ashamed. They feel guilt. They feel condemnation. They feel shame. And the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the guard of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Why, why are they hiding? They weren't hiding before. Something happened. They're bruised. They're broken. They're being held. They're prisoners of war. And now i got to go hide from the enemy that they think is God. And the enemy is not God. The enemy is the devil. God is our friend. Right. Let me remind you that God's not going walking around with a, with a hammer and a black bed right. ready to squash your brains. Right. I grew up that way. I grew up in a terrible fear of God that he was out to get me. Don't go around the corner because he might be on that corner with a hammer and smash you in the head and kill you. That's not the God that I serve. It's not the God that redeemed me many, many years ago. It's a God of love. It's a God of understanding. It's a God that knowed my brokenness. It's a God that knew my bruisings. It's a God that knew that I was a prisoner of war and I needed to be free by the power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hold on to it because it becomes our story. And people gloat in their loneliness. They gloat in their aloneness. They gloat in their marriage and say, hey, you know what? We're friends. I didn't get married to just be friends. Did you get married to be friends? Did you say to your wife on the honeymoon, let's just be friends? Let's play a game of checkers? I don't think so. 
If you did, you need some help. And my office is open. Praise God, you need some serious help. Hallelujah. So here's what happened. And God, and God said, who, who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Because God knew. Whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, look at, look at the blame game now. This is going to be the blame game. This is so symptomatic. This is classic textbook. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat it. Did she hold a gun to your head, Adam? Did she twist your arm to say uncle? No, I think she gave you a little bit of cheese and said, you know what? You'll be sleeping on the couch tonight if you don't do what I tell you to do. And you know that happens a lot in marriage. Come on now, my friends. What happened then? And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Did the serpent put a gun to your head to eat of that fr fruit? No, Eve. You did it. You made a choice. It was a bad choice. Had to made a bad choice. You hooked him. And you know what? You hooked us. That's right. And the day we were born, we were hooked and we became prisoners of war. Right. That God had to come and redeem us by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Now, Adam and Eve didn't get divorced. That's an astounding statement, isn't it? Right. <laughs> People say, well, there was no other man or woman. Well, you know, he could have went to his man cave somewhere. <laughs> he could have said to his wife, I'm going to the shop. I have a shop. And she could have said, I'm going to the sewing room because these fig leaves are just annoying me to death. I got to get something with a little more flavor and a little more color because this is not doing it for me. Because when I look in the mirror, man, this is awful. This is not good. So maybe she went through the sewing room. I don't know. They didn't get divorced. But they worked through, listen, a great attack on them. Amen. They worked through it. They didn't throw their hands up and give up. They worked through it. And you know what? A lot of people aren't willing to work through it. They bail. Follow they lost everything. They lost paradise. They lost their home. They, they lost their intimacy with God. They lost their intimacy with one another. And now they're, they're, they, they feel bad about what they've done. And now their sexuality is skewed. All kinds of hang-ups. However, the story doesn't end there. You know why it doesn't end? And this is why you have to love God the way you do. Exodus 15 and 3 says this, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Do you know how angry God was that day? Do you know how angry God was that the serpent beguiled them? God who created Adam, who created Eve, who created the garden. Do you know how upset God must have been? That broke the intimacy between him and his son and him and his daughter. This was monumental. This was a catastrophic earthquake in the garden. The book of Judges, if you allow me, in verse 12 says, the angel of God appeared unto Gideon and said, God is with you, almighty warrior. And Gideon replied, with me, my master? He couldn't believe as a man that God was with him. I want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. 
What would you consider a Christian man? I'm going to define what a lot of people define as a Christian man. A Christian man, people say, he, he's kind of a passive, quiet guy. A good guy. He does what is needed. Is that what women really want? Do they want a passive, quiet guy that just does what's needed? Follow. Adam hid. He didn't come through for his wife. He didn't take the responsibility of taking charge of the garden or taking charge of his house. This is one of the number one public enemies in our homes and even in Christian homes that men are not in control. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you biblically. Man in general now hides. Women look at us like we can't get the job done because that's what happened to Adam. The curse of Adam comes upon us. Adam was with her but did nothing to prevent the sin in the garden. He could have said to Eve, this is not right. You know it's not right. But you know what we do? Here's what people say, men especially. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause World War III because if I do that, I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. You know what? It's time to rock the boat. Amen. I said it's time to rock the boat. It's time to stand for something. It's time to be a man, just not, not have a pair of legs and a pair of britches and walk around the earth like you're half dead. Follow this. Women look at men like we can't get the job done. Adam was with her but did nothing to prevent the sin. Now women's desire is to control. The biblical uh, words are this. Women say, I'll get it done myself. Boy, you hear that ringing through the earth. And I'm not picking on women here because I'm going to be picking on men here in a minute. The Bible says in Genesis 3.16, And the desire, and that's a Hebrew word, the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This is a misquoted scripture that people, even in marriage seminars, don't know what they're talking about. If you look up the word desire in Hebrew, it means to control my husband. My goal is to control my husband. Just like Eve controlled Adam in the garden by causing him to eat the fruit. Look it up for yourself, my friend. I'll prove it to you biblically in the Hebrew. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to be men of war. We ought to be more than conquerors. And like Christian author John Eldridge writes, quote, we should have a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. A woman wants to be wanted. A woman wants to be pursued. A woman wants to be cherished. A woman wants to be fought for. A woman wants her beauty unveiled. End of quote. You know, when I met my wife, there was a, another guy that was interested. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, man. I'm a fighter. Come on, come on. I got a bee inside here somewhere if you look hard enough. Right. Amen. I went up to him face to face and I said, go for it. You will lose. Amen. Come on. Amen, amen. Go for it. Because you will lose. Hmm. Don't mess with me, man. Because I know what God spoke to my heart. And if you think the serpent's going to come and mess that up, you got another thing coming. And he was a Christian. He was a good guy. But you know what? I was the one that God spoke to. That said I would marry her within a year. Because you know why? Because one day, and you might think that a grown man studying to be a psychologist wouldn't be doing this, but I found Christ. And I was lonely. And I was alone. 
And I lived in a boarding house with a bunch of other students. And one night, I put God to the test. And as I did in those days, I got down on my knees by my bed before I went to sleep as a student. And I said, God, you said. I said, I'm just reminding you of you of what you said. You said it's not good for man to be alone. And I said, God, I am alone. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, God spoke to my heart and said, I will send someone better. Amen. Three weeks later, she walked into the church. Never laid eyes on her before. I didn't know her name, but she was that person that God spoke to my heart. Amen. You see, a lot of people are afraid to get down on their knees and say, God, I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being alone in my marriage. I'm tired of being alone as a person. Because you know why? We have to deal with some issues. We have to deal with brokenness. We have to deal with bruising. And we have to deal with the fact that we are prisoners of war. We are. And if you just stay in denial, you'll die in denial. And I don't believe that's God's will. Unless God has called us to be celibate. And there's very few people I've met in my entire life that God has called to be celibate. But we're afraid and we hide and we don't want counseling to delve into the issues that hold us back and cause us to remain prisoners. What's a Christian man? A Christian man is a fighter. Something happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam became a passive man. And I see that as one of the greatest issues in marriages today. When a man becomes passive, a woman feels rejected. When a man pulls away, when a man doesn't cleave as the Bible commands us to his wife, there's a break in intimacy. And what happens? The woman gets angry and the man becomes passive. And she feels rejected. And he has no clue about what to do on how to jump back into the arena of love because he sees himself as a failure. I can't get the job done. I'm a man. Look at me. The expectation is too high, men say. No, it's not. We're men of war. We're warriors. We're Gideons, praise God. And we must go into the arena of love. And I want to tell you a little clue. It doesn't matter how old you get. You can still fight for love and romance in your life and in your marriage. Praise God. Amen. I can tell you that for sure. Amen. 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 It's not over. Right. But you have to deal with some stuff. The search for love and romance. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, some sensitive issues. It says this in the message version. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me first. Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? This is a question that was posed to the church. And you know what? A lot of people don't want to deal with this. A lot of pastors want to get up for 10 minutes and make you laugh, tell you a little joke, send you home the same way you came in. I'm not going to do that. It's not my job. It's my job to preach the truth. It's my job to talk about issues. I told you of a recent survey some time ago that, that people took in churches 
And, and, the, and the people were asked, well, what do you want to hear from the pastor? They said, we want to hear about the issues. I don't need cutesy stories. I don't need cutesy sermons. I don't need a sermon from a sermon book. I need something from heaven. Something that the man of God dug out, praise God, and got a nugget for me. This is what God wants. Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Paul said, certainly. But only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. Mm. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Let me stop there for a moment. If you're counseling a man, and man to man with no woman there, one of the questions you like to ask a man is, how's your sex life? (laughs) It kind of jolts them off the chair. (laughs) I ask you a question. You, You come for counseling? How's your sex life? Well, I didn't come to talk about that. Well, what'd you come to talk about? Because looking at your face, you look like a dried up prune. And I know what that's an indication of. And if that's the way you want to remain and become a raisin in a box on the shelf of Wegmans, that's your choice. It's not my choice, and I'm 72 years old. Doesn't have to be your choice. Hmm. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. That's sexual, emotional. Hello? Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if both agree to it and if it's for purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. So many marriages fail because sexual intimacy begins to wane. And the pursuit of romance begins to dwindle. And as a result, people become boring in their own house. And when people become boring, they look across the fence to see if there's something exciting. Hey, listen, I've counseled enough people in my lifetime, and I've heard people say, she was excited. She was just downright excited. My wife is boring. She did something for me. She made me feel younger. Yeah. And what are you going to do when she says, when are we getting married? And you're going to make this reply to her and say, whoever talked about that? What do you think she's looking for? And what are you going to do when she says, how about a baby? A baby? Who's talking about babies? We're not talking about that. Oh, she is. She is. Oh, what a terrible web that we can fall into. What a terrible web when we don't allow God to deal with those issues in, this, in, our, in our hearts. Follow. There's courtship. Man meets woman. We have a ceremony. Man gets married. Woman gets married. There's a consummation of that marriage through conjugal love. It's called a honeymoon. And perhaps children down the road. But there's a struggle. Why is it? 
that millions of people have walked down the aisle to say, I do. I love you. You may kiss the bride. May I introduce you, Mr. and Mrs., for the first time. And then, how long after? I don't know. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's three months. Sometimes it's nine months. Sometimes it's ten years. Sometimes the phenomenon that's taking place in society, men and women who have been married for 25 years says, we're done. The empty nest syndrome. The children are gone. They're in college. They get married. And now there's two people looking at each other who never communicated, who stopped having intimate relationships, and now they're bored together. And what's happening? This is not working. This is not working. Listen, you've got to work on it, my friend. Because there's going to come the empty nest syndrome one of these days. Oh, you don't think when you're young. You don't think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. It's going to. You gotta learn to have fun. You gotta learn to hold hands. You gotta learn to take two straws and have an ice cream soda out of two straws in the same glass. The struggle because the baggage comes. A lot of people don't reveal before marriage, abuse, sexual molestation, different things that can enter into a marriage. Past abuse. And before you know it, because people are prisoners of war, they go outside the boundaries biblically and violate the marriage. Marriage is for protection. Marriage is boundaries. Marriage is God building a fence around you and saying, this is forbidden. This is forbidden. This is forbidden. Marriage is a protective boundary. And when we step outside that boundary, we cause great harm and great damage. There's cycles in marriage. There's going to be conflict. Listen, marriages are not perfect. There's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a struggle. It's normal. There's going to be a a loneliness sometimes. There's going to be an isolation. There's going to be an indifference. There's going to be different seasons that have to be dealt with. But you know what keeps a marriage together? It's called commitment. It's called commitment. People stand before God and they stand before people making a commitment for better or for worse, for sickness and in health. It's better not to get married if you can't make that commitment. I said it's better to not get married than to make that commitment. Because it's a vow before God. It takes perseverance and honesty. Communication. A woman can really help a man communicate. It's an awesome thing when a man shuts down. It's an awesome thing when a man gets quiet. It makes me worry. Because I know that there's something going on on the inside. I've seen it. I've experienced it with people, with myself. You have to talk about it. It's cathartic. It's therapeutic. Conflict will come. People will desire to build walls and boundaries, shut each other out as spouses. And people looking for love shut each other out and say, oh, who's going to love me? You're bruised. You're broken. You're a prisoner of war. Why don't we stay there? We come to church. We talk about God. We talk about Jesus. We talk about he's a mighty warrior. He's a mighty God. Why don't we let him invade our lives? 
Why don't we let him reconcile us in these areas that are plaguing us, that cause us to have love denied in our lives? Why? It just boggles my mind. Beware of foxes. Foxes are hard to trap. They're very hard. Solomon 2.15 says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Follow me, please. In the ESV version, the same verse says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the, vine, the vineyards, for our, vineyard, our vineyards are in blossom. In the YLT version, it says, Seize ye for us foxes, little foxes, destroyers of vineyards, even our sweet-smelling vineyards. You know, foxes want to come into your marriage. That's blossoming. Right. And they want to nip at your heels. And you know, they, they, they get, they're like with those little dogs that come. <laughs> they're annoying. You want to just kick them. Annoying dogs. I don't like annoying dogs. Why are you nipping at my heels? It's not a bone. It's not a meal. It's not a hamburger. I want to show you the foxes. There's three foxes that relate to love and romance. Here's the three. I'll show it. Conflict, indifference, and lack of interest. Follow these words. Solomon chapter 5, verse 2. Sorry we don't have it. It says, here's what the lady says. She says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It's the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew and my locks with drops of the night. Now listen, the Song of Psalm is a sexual book that intimidates people. If you ever study the Song of Solomon, you might get more interested in the Bible because it talks about sex. Did you know that? Amen. The Song of Solomon actually talks about sex. Position. Whoa, Pastor. <laughs> he does it. I'm telling you. What does it say? Open to me, my sister. Verse 3. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How should I defile them? You know what she's saying to the guy knocking at the door? Don't bother me. I'm tired. I have a headache. I just don't feel like it. Mm. This is indifference that causes conflict, and it's a lack of interest. He's knocking. What do you think he's knocking for, to play checkers? You think he's saying, I got into chess recently. I'm upgrading from checkers. Frustration having sexually. Having sexually. And I'm not going to go into that whole whatever. You know what I'm talking about. My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. She was starting to feel it. But I, I already did my routine. I already brushed my teeth. I put cream on my hands and my feet. I don't want to be bothered. Hmm. I rose up. Then she said, you know, 
Maybe I should rethink this. Maybe I should answer the door. Look what happens. His hand was on the door. I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dropped with mirror and my fingers with sweet-smelling mirror upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. What happens? Well, honey, you were so busy getting yourself all primmed and proper. I don't know for who. Your husband's knocking at the door saying, hey, honey, it's Saturday night. It's not just bath night. Hello. It's Saturday night. You know what everybody does on Saturday night. That's where they're late for church. Come on. Come on. Come on, now. It's okay, the lad. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Are we so dried up that we don't know what God's saying here this morning? She wasn't interested. And you know, a lot of people get to the place in life where they're not interested in love. Because they don't believe in love anymore. But God is love. How can we not believe in love? Because God is love. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved was, had withdrawn and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. No, he did it because he's gone, lady. And that's what men and women do to each other. Because of the games that came into the Garden of Eden because of sin. And the games continue. And no one wants to talk about the games. Don't give me cutesy stuff. Don't give me humorous stories. Give me something that can help me, God. And give me something that can help other people. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 13 and 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But who are mongers and adulterers God will judge? What does it mean, honorable? Marriage is Honorable, it's respectful, it's admired, it's reverent, it's precious. People talk about marriage and like, who wants to get married? What's wrong with marriage? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with having dinner with someone? What's wrong with going to a movie? What's wrong with holding hands and walking in the park? What's wrong with sleeping with someone else? Two is better than one, it keeps each other warm. What's wrong with that? I'm so tired of people's cynicism. So tired of people's murmuring. Because they don't want to deal with issues. And there's help. There's help. And we stuff it. And we push it down like a garbage pail. If there's anything I hate, is you're going to put one more thing into that garbage pail. And, and, and to push it down, push it down. Then it starts to overflow. And eventually, my friend, when stress takes place in the marriage, that stuff is going to come to surface and it's going to overflow and it's going to be a stinky garbage. Right. I'm not done. Can you stay with me for a few more minutes? The Bible says in the message version, honor marriage and guard the sickness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a line against casual and illicit Sex. It's so accepted in society. It's so accepted. It's like, people say it's okay. It's not okay. It's a violation. And violations always have consequences. And when you break the law, you get a ticket. Maybe not on today, but payday isn't always on Friday. Sexuality versus romance. Again, Solomon chapter 7, verse 1. You see, romance... 
It's kind of like a lost art in society. We all watch, well, maybe not everybody. I like to watch Hallmark movies with my wife. And I always flip down and I go into romance. There's a reason for that. Because it brings you back to your roots. When you see two, two people meet, when you see two people having conflict and go to Pure Flex and you get the Christian movies, and you see there's conflict in there. They struggle for love and romance because the thing that the devil doesn't want is unity. There's power in agreement. He doesn't want people to be intimate. He doesn't want people to find love. He doesn't want people to find happiness. He wants to make you feel alone like there's nobody in this world that can love you because you're unlovable. Because perhaps you have a father-daughter wound or a father-son wound. This is what people don't want to look at sometimes. People don't want to say, well, maybe I have been wounded and I have never been healed from that wound. Listen to me as a pastor. We've all been wounded by a parent. We've all been wounded by a coach, by a teacher. We've all have felt brokenness and bruising, and we all have been prisoners of war, being held captive by our emotions. I don't care who you are, because sin entered into the world. But let me talk about romance here for a moment. I have two more sets of verses, and I'm done. Solomon chapter 7, verse 1, describing, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks down upon Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like a purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Man, imagine if you read that to your wife. Man. You'd send that woman to heaven. This is the book of Solomon. This is the book of love and romance. And I want to conclude with this. A totally different set of verses that I read to you in Solomon 5, 2 through 8 about conflict, indifference, and lack of interest. Here's the woman at this moment taking the initiative. And the message version in Solomon 7, 11, it says to her husband, Come, dear lover, let's tramp through the countryside. Let's sleep at some wayside inn and then rise up early and listen to the bird song. 
Let's look for wildflowers in bloom, blackberry bushes blossoming white, fruit trees festooned with cascading flowers. And there, I'll give myself to you, my love, to your love. Love apples drench us with the fragrance. Fertility surrounds and suffuses us. Fruits fresh and preserved that I have kept and saved just for you, my love. Man, this is a love story. People say, that's not possible for me. Why? Why? We believe John 3.16. We believe John 3.16 so easily that God forgives us of our sins. Why can't we believe Solomon? Why can't we believe for love? Why can't we believe for romance? Why? Why do we stay frustrated and live life every day, every day, every day, and we get older and older, and then we die? Not knowing what the Bible says we can know, and not experiencing what the Bible says we can experience. I don't know about you, But I get tired of seeing marriages dissolve. I get tired of seeing marriages get boring. I get tired of seeing marriages become enduring friendships. And I've been in this business long enough, 47 years, to look into the face of a man or a woman. And I can basically discern where that person is in terms of love and romance. Because I have met thousands upon thousands of people in my lifetime that I have counseled. I've been there. I've been in the trenches trying to bring the word of God to people to be restored in their homes and in their marriages. Let me give you one little tip before I quit. And this is something that I love to do in marriage counseling. I ask both couple, both man and wife, name three things that you used to do when you were courting. I want you to name three things, each of you, that you used to do. They start to think. A favorite restaurant? A favorite place where you went to just look at the lake? Whatever it was. A concert? A particular band, a movie. And here's why I asked them to do that. Everything that happens to you is imprinted on your central nervous system. That's why your, your mind is the best computer that God ever devised. Because you can sit in a room with some people and you could talk about the music of your era. And you say, what was the name of that group? And everybody's the same age. They say, I remember that group. Now you can't remember a lot of the groups until God allows you to begin to search your central nervous system. And he starts to bring those names up. Because here's what you say. It's on the tip of my tongue. I, I know it. It starts with an S. I know it does. It starts with an S. And all of a sudden you know it. What happens? Everything that happens is imprinted on your central nervous system. And the right stimulus will stimulate that memory. So I tell couples, what was it that you used to do that brought you delight, that brought you together in courtship? 
that made you hold hands, that you talked, that you did things that were fun. I said, I want you to go back and revisit that. Go on a date and go do that. Well, why? Because it will re-stimulate your central nervous system. Come on now. Are you with me? And all of a sudden, it will bring you back to that memory. It will bring you back to that moment. And all of a sudden, you're going to feel something inside you that says, wow, that's amazing. Try it. Just try it. You'll like it. I wouldn't tell you if it didn't work. Because I've seen it work time after time after time. But here's what's happened in most of our homes. We have a cell phone here. Cell phone there. People even text each other in the same house. We're so lazy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. We text in our own house. And how far away is the person on the other couch? Hello, my friend. One has a computer here. One is bored here. One gets angry. What are you doing? Oh, I'm on the computer. What, what, what are you looking for? Is there a revelation in that computer? Is there like a little genie that pops up through the keys and is going to give you some answer to life? What are you looking for? Someone else's misery? Someone else's personal information? What are you looking for? What's giving you happiness? Put it down. We're addicted. We're addicted. We're not addicted to each other anymore. We're addicted to electronics. And because we think we can't live without it. Oh my God, my phone, my phone. What would happen if cell phone use goes down? What are you going to do, go crazy? Pastor, you're losing your mind. No, I'm not. Because we have to communicate eyeball to eyeball and face to face. That's what really works, my friend. And when you see people retreat, and I see men especially retreat and become passive, there are severe problems in a marriage. When I see a woman forlorn and depressed and discouraged and angry, I know there's severe problems in a marriage. And when I see people that are down on love and romance and cynical, I see real problems in the human heart and in the human spirit. God came to restore. God came to preach to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the bruised, to set at liberty those that are captive. It's time, friends. It's time. And you know, I've said this years ago, and I have to take my words. Sexual intimacy in the last days is one of the most therapeutic Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Listen. It's biblical. It's biblical. You can drown yourself in whatever you drown yourself in. And you can convince yourself whatever you're convincing yourself of. There is a struggle for love and romance. But that bridge can be crossed. By the blood of Jesus... By the name of Jesus, standing on the promises of God and saying, guess what? I am a warrior. I am a man of war. And if you're a woman, you should not deserve anything less from a man. He should be the man of war. And if he's not, bring him to me. I got a two by four in my shed. Amen. little attention That I can be given some therapy to. And I can talk to that man like you can. Yeah. 
Hopefully that you won't. But I can. And tell him to put his boots on and get with the program. Because if you let it decay long enough, you will be in the divorce court. And if not there, all you will experience is an enduring friendship that will take you nowhere but loneliness, defeat, shame, guilt, and condemnation. Thank you, and God bless you for listening.